You're listening to Vinyl Tap, Inside the Music Industry with Michael Parisi. Hi, my name is Michael Parisi. I've been a part of the music industry for over 30 years. I've worked in all facets of the business, from promotions, marketing, A&R and artist development. I've also worked for and with major record labels. I've run my own labels and my own music publishing company, and I'm still an artist manager today. So take a seat in the room with me as I talk with some of the biggest movers, shakers and visionaries of the music industry. There'll be lots of stories, insights and intel that you won't hear anywhere else. So sit back, relax and welcome to Vinyl Tap. It started off as a graphic design studio doing artwork for Melbourne nightclubs before it gradually evolved into a brand that has helped shape the dance music industry in this country. Frank Catella and Aunt Celestino have been at the helm of One Love since its inception some 25 years ago. One Love started off as a weekly dance night at the Prince of Wales in Melbourne and then it grew and it grew and then it grew some more. From a young Calvin Harris to Flume, One Love became the breeding ground for many of the big dance artists of today. It then morphed into a very successful record label, primarily releasing the best dance music compilations ever released in this country, before being very instrumental in the creation and success of one of the biggest dance festivals in the world, Stereo Sonic. Stereo Sonic was eventually sold off, but one love remains. In 2023, they had one of the biggest independent global dance hits, with Shouse's Love Tonight clocking well over 1 billion streams. So the question now is, where is dance music going in Australia? And then, what would Frank and Ant do? So sit back, relax, because this is two hours of the most fun I've ever had on Vinyl Tap. Okay, so here we are at uh, Vinyl Tap headquarters, and today I'm being tag-teamed by Frank Catella and Ant Celestino, who I just introduced. Ouch. Welcome, boys. Where have you been today? Well, today I've just been in the office and I've been sitting there and I'm waiting for invoices to come in that I pay. <laughs> That's what my life has been reduced to now. Invoices. Invoice. I just pay in. I, I like, I, I really get excited when an invoice comes in because <laughs> I actually get to do something. This is the beauty of an independent. This is what, what One Love's all about paying invoices. We love paying invoices. Like, <laughs> even if we don't have an invoice with you, just send us one. We'll just pay it. Paying invoices since can 2001. We get, can we get serious for one minute? Okay. Let's start with something fresh in my mind. Did you guys see the Arias last week? I did. I didn't. You didn't? Well, do you want to comment on the Arias? Yes, week? I because do. Because you've been quite vocal about it in the past. I thought it was actually quite good. I thought, it was, I thought they really got it together. I, I felt that... Um, yeah, look, it was completely different to last year. I don't know what the situation, what happened last year, but this year was great. The entertainment was fine. The pace was good. It was on early for some reason. We were watching it at 5.30 or something. I don't know. if that's Is that when yeah, it, it was, was on? F- yeah, it started about 3 in the afternoon, uh, Sydney time. And I think, I, I did, I'm not sure what time it went well, live on, on um, the networks, but yeah, I think it was much earlier than previous years. Yeah, I thought it was good. There was no sort of make-believe sort of acts put together that they did last year with, you know, really incompatible people singing, you know, 
memorial songs or whatever it was that they were doing. Um, but yeah, I thought it was okay. It was good. That's good. We'll talk more about the Australian music industry later on. Yeah. But let's start by giving the listeners some context about both of you. So let's talk about your entry into the music industry. At what point in your lives did that actually happen? Because you come from a graphic arts background, both of you, right? Mm. Yeah. Where did it all start? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So for me, it was, look, I, I think I've been always involved with music all my life, especially through high school with my mates that I had at, in high school where, uh, I, you know, I had a mate who was a real gun at electronics and he was the guy who built amps and mobile disco systems and all that sort of stuff. So he was a part of that. Then I had another mate who was um, really into music and, you know, played guitar and bass and all that sort of stuff. So we start. I started off really young in the whole music world. I loved it. I from And you played in a band, didn't you? Yeah. It was some sort of band. What was it? It was sort of like... Um, well, there was obviously the high school bands with my mates that we had at high school, and then I was I got I got to work with um, a guy called Ray Tosti. They used to be yep. the original guitarist out of in Hunters and Collectors. Was he Hunters and Collectors, or was he on Talking? No, it was it Hunters was Hunters and, and, and Collectors. Okay. And then I worked with a mate of mine called Evan Kelly, who had a little studio in the city, which was like a little community studio where we, it was us, I'm talking, Evan, um, Laurie, another friend of ours who passed away a few years ago, and we just all shared our equipment. So we just put it in there, and it was like a timeshare thing. Like, right. you know, I had it on Sundays and Tuesdays, someone else had it on during the day and all this, and it was Storbridge Chambers. And it was a great building because... In Stallbridge Chambers at the time was also the Fashion Design Council. Right. I remember if you, I don't know if you guys remember Fashion Design Council, but they were quite infamous back in their day. You know, um, we're talking um, early eighties here, aren't we? Very early eighties, yeah. 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 So school was like seventies, like seventy eight, seventy nine. Mm. You know, um, and then we started building on. I started building on from there, from the. Um, the studio side, I've always had that sort of interest. And then I went to work with the government as, you know, started working there as a court reporter and still I was working for um, Brian and Fiona. They used to own Clarion. What was Clarion? Clarion was a, a music, uh, like a equipment was supplier. Was that stereo? No. No? They were high-end right. studio equipment, but they also did this court reporting stuff that I was involved with. Um, they had a studio in South Melbourne, which is, was on the corner of King's Way. Oh. You, you would have been there. Yes, no, I do, I do recall it. Like Australian Crawl was, recall it. were there. Yeah. They recorded their album there and all that sort of stuff. So essentially what you're saying, Frank, is that you were in, interested in music from a, from a very young age. Very young age. Yeah. And th- But how did that parlay into a business? Uh, okay, so, you know, when I was working at... For the Victorian government, um, my mate Terence, who was um, he was in advertising, and I really loved. I, I really understood the whole design process and all that. So I, 
I wanted to get more and more into the whole design aspect of it. And so I sort of left there and started up my own design company, which was in Brunswick Street Fitzroy. I had a, a few little clients and I also serviced agencies, you know, uh, advertising agencies and put that all, you know, doing advertising back then with people, but at the same time, maintaining my interest in music. Mm. And so with that, I, I got into somehow there was a, I, 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 I got an office in Chapel Street, Paran above, uh, do you know where, um, tea house is? Yeah. Across the road is a clothing shop. Yeah. Upstairs there, I leased that office space. So I was in and the that back. Was a design studio? Design studio, right. yeah. So I was doing advertising work. And in the front studio, sorry, in the front office was a law office. And the secretary there was a girl called Belinda Lugwoski. I don't know, I don't know her. You do know do her. Do I know her? How do I know She's her? She's married to John Watson. Oh, Yes, I do know her. Yeah. Yes. So anyway, I um, she had a boyfriend at the time called Adam who owned in, uh, Inflation. Yes. I can't remember his surname. But and I, then I, there was a Razzle. I remember. I don't know if you remember Darren Thornburg. Of course I do. Yeah. Had, yeah. had Boutique as well. Yeah, point. had Boutique. Back then he was at the warehouse. They all came to see me. Grant Harrison from Chasers came to see me because I was on the strip there. And they all came to see me saying, oh, can you do our artwork? Can you do our artwork? Because um, they heard that I was doing sort of like fashion-y sort of stuff and yeah. youth stuff. So from there, it just grew and I um, built that side of the business. It so, wasn't so going... all that artwork that I was getting while I was working at Impress, those bromides, which used to smell like hell, you know, for chasers, inflation, underground, was that all you? That was me. Right. All of at, one, well, at one point, I did every single club. The... Oh, jeez. Andrew, Andrew Watts could not go to press because I had all the all the ads for the zebra part. Yeah, right. The, the, the nightclub bit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then, how did you get involved, Ant, in in all this palaver? Well, I was like, I was a musician from from a young age. I'd been in bands. I was always interested in music. When I left. When I left uh, school, I went into like fashion, like just creative stuff, and then from that I moved into advertising, right? Which was which was uh, I didn't last long in because I just hated the industry, and uh, but I did like finished art and uh, I liked design, especially graphic design, and so I was always into. I grew up around dance music. I grew up around DJs. Um, that was always around me. I became a DJ myself at a young age. So it was just those things coming together and I was just out with my folio. I always wanted to get into like club flyers and creating the artwork for, for albums, for events, all the rest of it. And um, there was, it was a small pool. It was only like Frank. It was Nick Demkew. There was like not many people locally that you could take yeah, other than go to like... Few, Paul Finlay. Yeah, oh, other yeah. than go to like Richie at Hardware, go to Future Entertainment, which I did all that stuff, you know, take them myself and try and get them. But it was like they've already got people doing it. It's either Frank or it's Nick, you know? So I was like... Nick Woods. Uh, Nick Demkin. No, no, before Nick. Oh, after Nick passed away. Yeah. yeah. So 
I then knew Frank from the clubs, right? Because like Frank and Raf and like these people always are out on the scene. I was doing like working in bars and doing all that sort of stuff. And it was a small circuit like back in the 90s, you know. So I'd, like I'd known Frank for a few years and then I was just contacting him and hassling him about like just, you know, give us, a, give us some work, you know, like put me on to do design work. Um, As part of FCD. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So yeah. it was my office back then after that, after the trenches of <laughs> Chapel Streets that I went through. Yeah. The um, cocaine trenches. Yes. <laughs> I went I ended up in um I ended up above my sister's salon in Smith Street, Collingwood, yeah. which, which is, is still there. Which yeah, well, well she the building's she's still moved there, yeah. from there, but it's it was next to Pasta Classica, just yes. if you know the location. So we were upstairs there and Ant just turned up one day and he just started working. I was like, I work here now. Yeah. I said, I haven't got any money to give you. Like, I was like, that's all right. He goes, yeah, I'm just going to start working here. I lived, I lived down the road in like um, Nicholson Street. Yeah, right. So convenient. I lived on the corner of Nicholson and um, Johnson Street. It was like, you know, opposite the Tankervilles, the worst place you could ever live. Mm. And I would, I started just like, I would walk to work and I was like clicking my heels because I was just working in music. And it was actually the, like, it was funny because I'd gone to see Frank and then the, the, the time that I'd come back to hassling him, he'd, he'd been like, I've just started a nightclub. And it's like, this is the second week that we're open. Last week was the first and week. Was it that? was great. What was that? One Love. Oh, so One Love was born back then. Yeah. 2001. So in the greatest scheme of, of things and the, like in the, in the, in the dance. <laughs> so what happened was, in the dance music so you're promoting, my promoting history yeah. is, is that when Chase is closed, George Zagoulas and Grant, who, I don't know, Grant, Grant Harrison, Harrison course, yeah. So he, they came to me and they said, look, to me and Raf, and they said, because I used to do all the artwork and Raf was one of the big promoters there back in the I day. Remember. So they said, we want to do a party where we're just going to have everyone here, right? So... And where, what venue was this? Chasers. At Chasers, before it closed. Yeah, it was closing. It was the first, when George had it, before it became Zoss. Remember, it became Zoss after? That's right. Because I, I was there for many years at Hard and Fast, which was Wednesday night. Oh, yeah, yeah, midweek. Yeah, midweek, yeah so Harry was, Harry was you know... And, and Grant was there at that Grant time. Grant was doing yeah. that. And Eric, so, Eric Pipersberg. Uh, Eric Pipersberg. Yeah. Um, Richie McNeil was in the... Running the upstairs... Ter- Billiard room, I think, you know, or was a busy or something. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, anyway, so George came to us and said, we wanted to. So we we put this party. Uh, you must have gone to it. What was it Because called? it was the, the last ever chases. I think I was there. And the street, we blocked the street. That would have been 90, there was 93? Potentially? No, no, no. 94. It was around was it, was it 1999, 98. It was later, yeah. Oh, much later. No, yeah. I wouldn't yeah. have been. I would have been in Sydney. So, so, you know, we did this party and we blocked off the whole street, like... So for some reason, we became me. Rap became the talk of the town. So we did another party at the motel. Oh, it was motel. called the motel. So and Raph's like, no, it's oh, called the, the Albion now. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. The, the Albion. Motel. Yeah. Wow. So he goes, oh, let's do a, a party. Better days, you know, because he had this brand that he used to do at Carousel back in the day. I remember that too. Which was a very glam, you know, fashion house music style venue uh, thing and then it just faded away and then 
he, you know, obviously, you know, we were, we were living in a shared house at the time and we needed to make some money somehow. So, <laughs> so, so Better Days was a division of One Love or One Love no, came later? No, later. One so, Love, Better Days was from the early 90s. Right, and then One Love superseded. Yeah, like, no, One Love was completely different. It was Again. Yeah, so what happened there was Raph was working at The Prince when it first, remember when it first, yes. first started? Yes. And it was like a, um, how would you describe it? Terrible. It was a, it was a rock and roll venue. Really. Oh, no, the, no, the, no, the, 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 the night that they would do. The, the Saturday night was the more night, like a... It was a really fluffy house, like, scenester house night, like, real... Uh, so uh, is this is this post the the rock the rock era? Yeah, yeah. When, when I say when I say scenester, it wasn't like when you think of hipsters now. Yeah. It was kind of like the social set. They would go to fashion shows and then they go to nightclubs and they would go there. It but was it was more like a bar. It was yeah. like a bar. It was like yeah. a social bar, but it wasn't fun at all. So then it was I remember very I, serious. I remember yeah. Raf left because he had a fight with Draw over. He was a hit promoter there. He had a fight over drink cards. Of course he did. Of course. <laughs> in the day right? drink what, else you, what else do you find? So he goes, that's it, I've had it, I'm out. So then two years later... He did a party at the at Luna Park that kind of... Yeah, the Luna Park thing stiffed. didn't work out. So it was, it was, he was in a weird so spot then himself. I, then we had done chases and the motel and all this. And anyway, we were sort of like the hot guys around town with what we were doing. Not that I knew because I was just a graphic designer, right? Mm. But anyway, I enjoyed what I was doing. And um, so Raph had left the Prince and then the Prince just went down. It was oh, yeah. not sustainable. Sure. And Raph ring, rings me up one night and he goes, listen, you know, Tom um, draws like in a bit of a, draws in a, you know, like starving down at the Prince, you know, we should look at taking it over. And you don't need to whisper. We're in the. <laughs> Am I whispering? A little yeah. bit. Yes. You're not telling us a secret. You're not telling us a secret. <laughs> okay. It is a secret. Um, so we, we went down and saw. Raph went down that night and saw Draw and said, "Hey, listen, we'll come back, but we'll come back on our terms. This is what we want to do. Blah 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 blah." And so we just took over the. And that's prints. when One Love was born. Yeah. Essentially, right? Yeah. So we had a good team of promoters. Promoters, Raph was like, you know, that was his his thing, socials, you know, yeah. promoters, kids on the street. So, mm. so we he went out and you know we found a good team of promoters to work for us. Yeah, and I had a vision with I was seeing in the UK all these clubs like Cream and all this that are Ministry of Sound that were coming through and they're all based on branding and design. Yeah, and, and they and they all made some kind of or not some kind of a significant cultural impact yeah. on on you know on society or on yeah, yeah. Or on the kids of, the, of that of that era. So we when the we the same way one love eventually did over, Well you know? what happened was um with Draw the first night we did the first night he he gave me an envelope that week with two hundred bucks and I said listen we're not, I'm not working for 200 bucks here, yeah, right. you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like I'm going to go and sit in the cafe and drink coffees all day because this, this is hard work. Yeah. And, and what was if you stick with that, me, that... yeah, I said, if you stick with me, we'll build one of the biggest brands in Australia and you'll just, you'll make far more money, 30 times that amount. Right. right. And guys, so anyway, so he somehow trusted me. 
and he went with what what I was saying, and and we did. We built we built one love over that period in the two thousands, and that was you draw and 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 Raf and Raf and and when did was it was there a fourth wheel or not? No, earlier in the piece we had James Eden who uh, was on board and. Actually, Julian Gurner was there in the yeah, very right. early piece, and Rory Kent <laughs> was there also. We had a quite a, a quite few a people, but in the end, you know, to be honest with you, I went out and set up a company called One Love Proprietary Limited, so draw wouldn't screw us. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that makes sense. nightclubs. You know, because I thought, you know yeah. what, we're making a lot of money here. Let's let's formalize this and yeah. just make it right. So, in in the in the greatest game of things on a on a timeline for dance music in Australia, where would One Love fit or sit on that timeline? Where was the dance music industry at that point when One Love first started? You know, gaining momentum, there and was, turning into something you know substantial yeah. and turning into something important. There was two sides to it. There was kind of like what you knew from the Triple J acts, you know, the itchy and scratchies and this sort of thing, that like the, the crossover dance acts or, um, you know, there was that side of things. There was a really healthy underground, well, I won't say underground, but it was like rave circuit in the 90s with like the Richie's parties, all that sort of stuff was really yeah. healthy. Richie being hardware. Hardware. Hardware, yeah. yeah. Um, but there was like no concept of a super club. There was like that, that was like, you know, you had to look overseas for that sort of a, an idea. Jake Kakakis tried to do it with salt yeah. at the warehouse, but it just didn't work out. There was nothing happening in Sydney at the time. Mm. Home came a little bit later, but then again, that really didn't, didn't... It was it was really funny to me because like when I came in and started working with Frank... We'd both been in advertising. We'd both been in design. We're like marketing sort of guys. We both had brand was the first thing in, in our minds. Yeah. So it was always kind of like we loved dance music. It was just like our everything revolved around the electronic music. Well, there's a difference between electronic music and dance and music. Dance music you know, dance music is just like the pure dance floor music, right? Electronica, which I'd been into, was kind of like, you know, warp records and, you know, all yeah. that sort of like very chin strokery stuff. Yeah. But where Australia wasn't that sophisticated, right? Mm. You had people that were doing rave music, right? Quite, they were doing techno music. There was techno parties and there was uh, nightclubs that had house music. House music was the flavour of the... the I'd come from drum and bass, so I was a real fish out of water, right? When I came to work with Frank, but as far it wasn't sophisticated, right? You had a handful of DJs at best. You had like John Course... You had like Gavin Campbell, you had um, Alex Taylor, you had like a bunch Well, let, of, me, let me put it this way. When I female started, DJs. When, when we started One Love, I said to Raf, I want to get John Course. And and Raf was like, nah, because you got to remember, Raf was doing, um, you know, Chevron back in the day. Yes. And John was playing there. So John had been around for 10 years Frankie already. D. You know, all these guys. And I said, no, these are the popular guys. These are the big name DJs here in Australia. We got to get them. So we got them. And then we also were in a fortunate position because we built relationships with like Ming in Sydney and all these other promoters around the country that were touring acts for their festivals. So we would pick up on the acts to bring into... The, the, into into the club. The other thing I felt was that we had to be attached to brands, and an integral part of this was Lee Jeans 
because yeah, right. we worked with Ty Robinson. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And and Jimmy's. It, he yeah. was looking for something. So this is a bit of a, going all over the place. But they were. He was looking for something. He was the brand marketing manager there, and he was looking for like at the time it was popular to put your logo up at summer days, yeah. and that was sponsorship. Yeah. And we spoke to him about why don't we throw parties and do activations and do all of this stuff which is really youth focused where the kids are at actually not just being about a logo but like being creative with it so that tied into what we were doing so it gave what we were doing a fashion element you know yeah, people sure. we we, yeah. we had artists that were coming to like hang out like you know well-named artists that were like painters and photographers it became a bit of a hub so we were taking it in a really different thing on the side of what we were doing in our office it was like we were just like completely counterintuitive we were like I mean, how much did we fight with Raf over artwork? And like, no one understood what we were doing. Oh my God. But Draw was, was the mediator. <laughs> Draw but, was mediating every day of the week. But it, but it was kind of like interesting because we had this idea of doing uh, like just the, the brand was going to be the biggest thing, right? So, you know, One Love allowed the idea of dance music to coalesce from a local brand. The only other thing that I could think of at the time would have been Ministry of Sound as a label, which was a licensed brand. It wasn't an Australian entity, right? right. Tim, there was Central Tim, Station. Tim McGee. Yeah. yeah. I, I was going to say, the, the label that springs to mind is Central Station. Central Station was basically dance music recordings right. in Australia. Then there was like, you know, obviously the Inertia and all these other, like there was like little things out there, but there was nothing with the kind of like, I guess we had a little bit of a like big ambition in what we're doing. And um, recordings came quite later to us because yeah. we were doing clubs. Like it was, yeah. You know. So, so the recording side of things. And look, I've got to say also in in the build up to all this, and, and you know the the artwork that we used to do for clubs and all this. An integral part of back then also was a lot of the labels that we used to work with, which were like you know Colossal Music, Gabby working at Colossal. Gabby, come that on was in. a part. Like we were doing like myself and my sister. Uh, Kathy were doing like you know 20 releases a month with those guys you know they yeah. were just and please it, use surnames so we understand who you're talking about so <laughs> Gabby, Gabby is Gabby Columbia Gabby right? Columbia yes yeah, right. um, and we were doing that and then I was doing some work with MDS also at the time and Zompa was that Scott was that, who was that Scott Murphy Scott Murphy yeah. Zompa was a big client too um, they weren't mushroom were they they were they were actually festival they, they actually yeah. they actually were Okay. And then they went out on their own once Mushroom was bought by Festival. Mm. And I think I was, we're doing, I was doing stuff for Polydor. This and what, is before and, and, Anne were came. You, and were then, you releasing their, their dance music through One Love? Or were you no, no, One Love wasn't existed but, back so then. So you're promoting their dance release, international No, no, we were, I was doing the artwork. Just the artwork? Just yeah, at the okay. time, right. just the artwork. Right. Then when, when it all went bananas <laughs> when Anne came on board... We had the start of the club. We got into the the brand side of things with One Love. You know, One Love was just you know started. It was blowing up. And yeah, we were doing record label stuff for Sony. And yeah, the, at the same time we were doing yeah. this because that was sort of launching records through the club. You mean? No, like no, we no. were doing art. Like we were being right. pulled in just, to do art, but it was like okay, we were doing art, but then we were bringing DJs through. Right. Like there was all just it was all connected. Yeah, yeah. Then then um. You know, One Love Club was going really strong and we s decided to do some friends of ours, some promoters in Adelaide contacted us about doing 
like a Saturday night. In Adelaide. In Adelaide, like doing one lot brand at night. So, and that went, went across and that was really strong. So it was so strong that we moved it to Fridays just so that we could have a run going. So Friday, Adelaide, Saturday, Melbourne. Saturday, Melbourne. And then Sydney. And, and then Sydney, Sydney well. came along in 2006, I think it was, yeah. or 2005. Right. And we, we, we always knew we had to go to Sydney and everyone laughed at us because when we went to Sydney, it was like, oh, who's going to give you, who's going to give you a, a venue? So Justin Hams had an empty venue there with Tank because uh, the promoters that were in there at the time had just left. And so we went there. And so that's when things got really serious. Things went crazy. bananas. We, we had gotten into, just before Sydney opened, we'd started to do compilations, JVN with Sony. Because we had the dance brand and they had no local outlet. So you had the audience that were loyal to your brand. That's right. And they needed something to compete with the Ministry of Sound compilations. So who we have to thank there is Craig. Craig Burger Queen. Yeah, Craig Craig Drysdale. Craig Craig Drysdale, who used to be at Sony. Right. So he he came one night. He was a DJ too in in Scotland or UK or whatever. I think he just came down there because he was trying to you know, score a gig with us. Right. But he was there and he saw what the club was about. And then the, I remember the following week on the fax machine, he sent us an offer to do JV compilations. And that's how the JV compilation... Started with Sony. That's how, that's how we started with music. And were you yeah. mining their, their dance catalogue from around the world and combining it no. with... No. no. What, 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 what it was was like, we would just go, we're going to just license records through what, look, look stuff that's in their catalogue, put it into the compilations, license stuff in. Well, we had to still license stuff in because it was impossible to actually make these records because it was like you would put a request... Look, dance music moves re- moved really fast. Mm. So a record would pop up in the clubs. We're like, let's get that record onto the compilation. But to go through the Sony system would take forever. So we just started licensing stuff direct. To, to yeah, so what happened but was... still releasing through Sony? Through or? Sony, yeah. Yeah, so what happened was we've... Um, you know, Ministry of Sound had uh, and Central and that really had the edge because they were licensing their own product. Yeah. And they had the product. Whereas with Sony, with us... We had to, we had to put in requests to New York or something to get these bloody licenses. Yeah. It was just a night. Even just mastering the CD, you had to, you know, shoot it up into the bloody Star Trek machine. Well, yeah. and, uh, there was there was a, there was a protocol. There was a protocol about everything had to go through New York and this and that. And it was we were always behind the eight ball, you know, when it came to yeah. the compilations. So then we decided to start up. One Love Recordings, right. which was just a licensing business. <coughs> Our job was to license in immediately. We would pay for the licenses straight away. And then we would license to Sony. So could you see what we were doing? Yeah, you're, you're, yeah, you're reverse, Sony enge- couldn't reverse engineering it. it. The only yeah. way we could make these yeah. compilations was to be and also proactive. You need, you need to be timely because yeah, as exactly. you said, you know, music was moving pretty fast. Dance music was moving pretty fast, right? right? Yeah. So the compilations, and we had the access also to DJ. So we're bringing all this talent through. So we'd ask different people, hey, do you want to mix a CD? And so like the people actually mixing the CDs, suddenly we've got like Calvin Harris. Who played at One Love. Yeah, you've got all these different people that like, if we're not Avicii mixed a CD for us, like stuff that no, they've never done for anyone else. But because they were playing for us, it was kind of like good times to do that. Part of the whole... 
um, process when we first started One Love was I knew we had to get overseas and make relationships. Mm. So I knew previously Raf had gone to Miami Music Week like with Darren Fisherman, when, you know, when it, when it was the most important event in the world. Yeah, yeah. at the time. Mm. So I thought, okay, we've got to go. We've got to go to Miami. We've got to go. We've got to go to Europe. We've got to. We've got to meet the people. Yeah. And I think it was really early days back then. Yeah, Miami so, was straight after South by Southwest in Austin, yep. Texas. And yeah, then we Miami didn't would yeah. follow the week later. Yeah. I remember that because I remember I remember going to it. Once. Miami was always up, is always after South by. So, yeah. but we really went there for the Ultra Music Festival, which That's was right, on which, which was born at the out time. Of festival. So we went there to meet people, and because everyone was in the infancy stage. We all became really good friends till today with a lot of these people. Yeah. So the, the relationships back then, it was sort of like, you know, you, you'd be walking down Miami and it's like, hey, you're the guys from Australia. You know, you're the guys from, you know, from wherever, you know, UK or whatever. Everyone knew each other. Yeah. It was sort of like a family yeah. sort of vibe. And, and that's how... It was some of its parts. Like there was, you were going to Miami, meeting all these people... I was like uh, a DJ. I was doing the back room basically at, at One Love. But at the same time, I was meeting like Justice and all these actors on right. MySpace. So I was bringing to the guys like, hey, I've got these friends that are from France. They want to tour in Australia. Like anyone <coughs> that we could find, we would sort of funnel it all into the same thing. Yeah, sure. And th that definitely made One Love really interesting because it was not just this one genre thing. We, we moved with genres. Like when Electro House came through, we were the first ones into that. Right. When the Blog House thing came through, we were already way ahead of everyone else because we were, we were booking like Crookers and Bleed Beetroots and all these sort of acts as well. We, we just had, like if you look at the lineup of DJs that we just had through, the talent that we had through the club, it wasn't just like this one thing which had a lifespan that was finite because we were shifting with the culture and often ahead of the culture, right? And that's... That's probably why One Love the Club lasted ten years because yeah, which is a long time, isn't it? And, and to, when for I say club to run these yeah, days, yeah, and it was ten years, and like at one point it was like five cities weekly, you know. Yeah. So there was like Brisbane, you, Adelaide, Sydney, ten years, yeah, and I would I would have to say ninety percent, eighty five or ninety percent of that time, the Melbourne Club had every Saturday twelve to fourteen hundred people through it. Oh, I, I remember. Yeah, it was ramming. It was just rammed. And Sydney was even more crazier. And then and we also <coughs> were one of the first clubs from around the world to start touring artists into Asia. Yeah. So <clears throat> we, we we had club in Bali during the season. We had a we were doing this circuit where we were doing Singapore. you know Singapore, yeah. Dubai, KL, you know, Korea. Like we had People for everywhere, which is you know, yeah. I mean, for for the outside, for for us on the outside looking in, it felt like a phenomenon. But essentially, what you guys did, from my perspective, in my opinion, is you built a community. Absolutely, right. And that's one hundred percent. That's the most important thing about you know, like when you're trying to maneuver your way through this industry, um, regardless of genre. If you haven't got a community, well, around what you're trying to do, whether you're an artist or a label, then what are you doing, right? We had like... And One Love was a community, wasn't at it? At one point, the One Love forums were like one of the most high traffic websites in Australia. Yeah, Australia. Yeah. Like because we were nurturing that. Like, look, 
I remember I'd go in the clubs, I'd take the photos before my DJ set and before and after and during my DJ set in the back, I would go out and take photos. On Monday morning, I was curating the photos, I was getting them into the street press and kids were Love like... Love the photos. And, in, that's, and they were different. Uh, but they we were, didn't they put were all different. the photos. No, we would highly curate it. We, again, the branding thing, like what we were trying to achieve, mm. like with, 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 uh, with the aspirational thing, like people wanted to come to that club for a reason. It wasn't just to be seen for five minutes. They had a ball. They could lose their mind in the club. Yeah. They Not felt, be judged. But they also felt... To- exactly. They felt totally... Like it was the concept of safe space mm. didn't exist. You didn't go there to find safe space. Mm. You went in there to fucking mash it up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like to lose your mind. To get loose, yeah. But in, in the best possible way. But mm. the people would make relationships and they became friends. You know? So there was a, a big part of it was the community aspect of it mm. was so important. But not just that, like the DJ community of the people that actually, the li- I remember the lineup of DJs that we had, there was nothing like it in Australia. Because nah. as as, we would all go tour, um, we would all go tour around all the cities, you know, so we were constantly on the road half, the, like every weekend. With the same, with the same lineup with the same, each city. With the same people. And like, you know what? We treated all our DJs exactly the same. We paid them really well. Yeah. And it didn't matter if you were male or female. No one gave because, a shit. Yeah. Because we had some of our best DJs were females. Like oh, at man, the time, yeah. like, you know, no one was oh, taking risks and all this. Mate, we used to do nights, which was just all the girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but like, that's but because there were so the, many. Yeah, but that, 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 was, that, wasn't by, that wasn't by design. That was because no, they were that's, what, they, what they were doing. That's what we programmed because yeah. that... Because that was just so so good, you know. Like you know, um, it was never a consideration. Pam was yeah. unbelievable from Sydney, you know. Sarah Rachel, Main, Sarah, Rachel Minx. Minx, yeah. You know, who's she still, still doing it, yeah. Fantastic, you know, like great DJs in their own rights. You know, they yeah. knew exactly what they, they. Some of those girls were running rings around the guys sure. you know like it was, were, we had we had so many people in there because you had the front room which was you had the main room and then you had the back room so the actual number of djs and the talent that came out of one love it's kind of ridiculous like there's the dna of people that have played there either as residents that have then gone on to become be, in, integral yeah. to what you think of now like sort of roundabout way but to your question of where it lay at the time was it sounds like too narrow and horn a bit, but it was really integral to an entire generation yeah. of people in a clubbing sense and in a dance music sense. It informed what the culture was locally. Yeah, because the, yeah. the, look, in, in the uh, in the late eighties and early nineties, there were clubs yeah. in Australia, and I remember going to check. They were Char- unbelievable. Yeah, check great. Charlie was an amazing club. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Metro, amazing. And Metro was fantastic. Hardware too. club. But hardware, I was going to say, Rich is probably the closest one in terms no, of no, community. No, no, I'm talking about... Oh, the original hardware. Oh yeah, my God, in the city. Goes, it goes back a long way. We're talking about when the Metro opened. Yeah. Hardware yeah. Club. There was the the Anglers Club. Anglers, in, yes. The Anglers Club. There was the Croxton Park Hotel. There was Richie's Night Spot. Yeah, there, there, was, there were all those, but, but I'm talking about in terms of cultural impact in community, I think it'd mm. be fair to say that along... Along with Richie McNeil and Hardware, Hardware and One Love, you know, paved the way for dance music in this country. Look, definitely, the way dance music yes, was definitely, and consumed. Well, the, the thing, definitely, the thing us was, on a consumer on a mm. more commercial level. Well, yeah. we were definitely on a, on, in some ways, on a commercial level. 
like, look, we always said this, this was our motto was like overground in the underground and underground in the overground. You know, we, yeah. we, we balance both of those things. But what's interesting, like sort of like just thinking about it now, like in retrospect, but at the time, the DJs, you had all ages. It wasn't like the game of some kid that's 18 years old. You had seasoned professionals. You had people that were in their 40s. We would have DJs in their 50s. It didn't matter what it was. There was no such thing as kind of like, there was no ageism. You know, it was like sure. basically, and, and the punters didn't care. Yeah, they, they like care. no one cared that deeply about, about like ticking all the boxes of like, hey, you got the coolest lineup of people because there was no social media, mm. right? So it wasn't like, it, it was basically people weren't thinking too hard about it. They, they came to love you as a DJ because you delivered every week. Yeah. And it was competitive amongst the DJs. We all were very protective of our slots, you know, to, to, to perform, right? To, yeah. to, to hold it. So you'd have that guy that played the, you know, the 3 a.m. slot. He had to bring it. It's the same way the person played the 1 a.m. slot had to bring that slot. You had to bring the dynamic to that time. We knew in the back room we had to hold people for like five hours, you right. know? So it was right. like... So we had 12 till... Uh, sorry... Nine till twelve, front bar. Yeah, I don't know if you remember what the, what it looked like. It had the the yeah. doors, right? Of course, I do. Yeah. So usually that room would be filled. There was six hundred in the front bar and the balcony. Yeah. By eleven o'clock. So by eleven o'clock, we used to open up the big the main room, the gates. Remember those big yeah. gates? Yep. Yeah. And we had an instant full room. <laughs> yeah. Instant yeah. bang. So. We used to chat so that so then the next DJ was twelve till two. Yep. In, two in the to, main room. Main yep. room. Yep. Two to four. Yep. Four to close. And close was what, six? Six. Mm. And, and the back it, room would open at like midnight, twelve thirty one. And, yeah. and, and, and this, go till close. And yeah. this is like in the city where probably our, our licensing laws, liquor licensing laws allowed that like no other place on earth at that time, I imagine. New, I mean, yeah. LA definitely didn't no, have that no, culture. No, no, you're right. Yeah. You know, New York certainly didn't have that culture. If they did, it, it wasn't... It'd as, be UK was... Be UK the, was probably the only one, mm, right? Yeah. yeah, and so one of the things was that... What I'm, what I'm saying there is the 9 o'clock shift, the 12 o'clock right. shift, the 2 and the 4. There was four DJs plus back room. Plus back room, yeah. So the early shift was bar music. Yanni, Promote a DJ kid. Some young yeah. kid yeah. playing, you know. The next generation kid. Yeah. But, but sorry, just to Bring, interrupt, bringing interrupt his you. Crowd, for, bringing his crowd in. Or so, no, no, it was just, we just, just care about that. You we know, just, the, the, it, was the, it was the person who's just got into DJing and you're giving right. them a go because they can bring 50 mates, yeah. right? But ironically, all of the guys that were in that 9 till 11 shift, 11 till 12, they went on to become the darlings of the Berlin techno scene. Yeah, right, like all these guys yeah. were our opening DJs. It's really fun. It, like the DNA of One Sydney. Love is, yeah. yeah Sydney, right. we had more rooms. We had... Um, oh my God, there was like three or four rooms. Yeah. Three rooms, yeah. Like yeah. there was an up, there was upstairs, upstairs, downstairs at the back and then the main room. There was three rooms, yeah. And obviously a lot of people from Sydney came through that, that era. But what I'm saying is there was four DJs they were there to do a job. They did two hour sets. You know, the lights used to come on at, you know, 5.30, you know, and the, the crowd was still there. Still be full, so, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So then things changed. What happened? What happened? Festivals started coming into play. <laughs> yes. And that's, that was segue the, with your, your I was hardware. Gonna, I was going to segue right yeah. into that. So This is perfect. You did, it, you did it for me, Frank. So what happened was 
One Love was this space where people looked at each other, right? Like it, this, this whole space. And then it slowly started changing that people were just looking at the DJ, Right. Mm. Right. In other words, they were there for they were there for the DJ for it the music. Became event based. Right. So you're and only that's as good as things, your lineup. Another, yeah. Another yeah. So then things started getting a bit funny because you know, like uh, you know, people weren't there every at, week. You needed an international. Yeah, you yeah. needed to a draw card. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you needed a draw card. Whereas before, it was about the community, the culture of it, yeah. the culture yeah, of it, yeah, 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 and yeah. then you know, and so. It was interesting. But what, what actually happened to to create that or, or, or cause that change? I think it was just change of... I think it was like... Change of the guard. You yeah. know, kids, were, were the kids thinking yeah, differently at that point? Yeah, well, it's 10 years. Kids, and, the, well, older, well, the older set had just... Uh, do you think... No you one think, had phones out at the start. Yes. Right? Like, phones like, like, sort of killed phones it Phones kind of changed the whole thing. You know, like there was definitely... That aspect, I remember in the later years, I mean, I wasn't DJing anymore at that point. It was, it was kind of lost its vibe. But it was like people were very, if you had a big act, they would be stopping to film it. And it was kind of like, this is a buzzkill, you know? Whereas when phones came out, and remember, we used to do all those promotions with Motorola. Oh, my God, yeah. Every, every, we gave, yeah. Out, gave out so many Motorola Razor, Rima flip phones and <laughs> yeah, all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was great for us because... Mm. We knew we had an early crowd because our, our, our kids, we had like four sets of kids that came through the club. Mm. So that early set were on their phones going, at Prince rockin', you know? Yeah, da, da, da. Yeah, yeah. So the next kids yeah. that came along, Prince rockin', you know, like... Yeah, texting all, each other, yeah. And all that sort of stuff. But just going back to what you're saying about the, the, the change in mentality, the shift in, the shift in mentality, do you think the big day out had because I think that had a very significant cultural impact in this country. Not the, with our the boiler room. Yeah. The boiler room yeah. was really the start of you know. Nah. No. It was more what, what, more more more. Um, what what things like park life? But what pre, didn't the boiler room predate? Like it did. Yeah. It did. But that's yeah, in yeah. the old. See that boiler room was an old person thing. It doesn't matter. But didn't it start? You know, the whole concept of seeing live, you know, dance music was born out of that boiler room. On a mass level, I'm talking about. Uh, no, no. I, no, no, no. Like, like can, there was definitely. Can we trace it back any further? Can we? Yeah, yeah. No, no. Easily, easily. It was like the definitely the big raves, the like the every picture right. things, and like the stuff that like better. Um, two tribes, those sort of tribes, things. Was two tribes doing it before the big day out? Well, what, what happened? No, what? but culturally speaking, yeah, yeah right? right. Like what, when you're thinking of like what, like boiler room at big day out wasn't a reason for people to be at Big Day Out. But it was always packed. That it was room. because, yeah, no, that's true. Obviously for lots of reasons, yeah, <laughs> yes, right? Yes. But but it wasn't like the cultural impact. You didn't go to Big Day Out because of Boiler No, you didn't. It was there. It was there. And you enjoyed right? it. You discovered stuff that that's you probably correct. never have seen if you That's hadn't. correct. Yeah. But the large scale dance music festival was the domain of like those all night raves at like Rod Laver Arena or Warehouse, like the, you know, the, the, the sheds, sheds, the sheds, you yeah. know, all that sort of stuff. And who was doing those? Who, who, who was involved in? Um, there was that crew that was out of Moorabbin that was doing it, you know, the, what were they called? Oh. Heidi and whatever. Oh, I can't remember. Right. But, but there was, there was a, a, a taste for bigger, large scale, you know, yeah, shows. Yeah. There was, yeah, but I don't think that the generation of kids that we somehow 
clicked into and the market that we clicked into, I don't feel that they were big day outers. They like, weren't going to big day outers. They weren't going, no. but they were going to Park Life. Right. They were going to what was some other? They, they were going to any of the events that Future was doing. Two they tribes. weren't. They weren't going to hardware shows. They're going to two tribes. Right. They, going to... No, that was. Too, I think that was too old for them. Like, was it? yeah, that yeah. was that was really, that, been going that was our generation. Yeah, you know? yeah, that was true. my generation true. going to that. True, like, true. I was already kind of like in my mid twenties when it, when One Love started. So when you're talking about like you know another few years later, five years later, suddenly it's like the eighteen year old kids never heard of Two Tribes. Right. You know. But you guys started as much seeing... as Richie might. Believe otherwise. Yeah, right. <laughs> we'll talk to Richie. He's going to be my next interview oh, right. to counterbalance this one. So, so the impetus for Stereosonic, where did that come from? Was that a... Okay, so we were buying a lot of acts from Simon Coyle and Richie yeah. for the club because we were feeding that, our guests, you know, our guest ha- line was up and running at that point. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah, were, yeah. they, they were doing their really, own. They yeah. were doing their but thing. But in terms of bringing out big international... Our only connection... Yeah. With, yeah. Our connection with Richie... And hardware or totem back then, yeah, totem, totem um, was Simon because um, we used to purchase a lot of our acts, and Ants would also ANR's acts. So he he would he would say, "Listen, we need to get this act," mm. and Simon would go and get it yeah. for us. Right. And then because we had Melbourne, Sydney, all the clubs, we, it was easy for us to slot them in, sort of thing. So Friday Adelaide, Saturday Melbourne following Saturday, Sydney, blah, 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 right? So um, our connection. So we used to somehow go and catch up with Richie and Simon at... Like Melbourne Market. At the Vic Market (laughs) to have a sausage there, you know? And anyway, Richie came up with this idea. He goes, you guys have got this great crowd, you know, all over Australia because all the clubs are pumping and we've got really good... Talents. And when and you say crowd, are you talking database? No, no like just, just, just an actual just audience. An audience. Audience. Yeah. Right. It was a bit different back then. You could move your audiences. <laughs> yeah. Like you could convince your audiences to go to places. Of course. It was a lot easier. We just had our finger on the culture. Yeah. 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 So they had great skills at putting festivals together, mm-hmm. yep. touring, all that sort of stuff. They were really good at what they did. And we had this real social aspect. Yeah. And we had the community as we were talking. Well, they, we had- they had Richie's show. Like, look, he had a lot of big talent in techno, right? So mm. the Carl Coxes and the Derek Mays and all this yeah. sort of stuff that he was touring, doing that stuff with, that was like techno parties, yeah? Now, we had something that was working in a real overground sense, a more pop commercial a sense. Pop commercial sense, right? So, because we were like, we had like David Getter, like when he was on his first album, you know, no one knew, him, but no. we were bringing guys like this out. So, we right. had all this sort of, we were very early on a lot of talent because we had really strong AR, right? So, we were bringing these things out. Rich, that wasn't Richie's world. So, the idea was like, you do your, like, let's do a big techno rave, but do it so it also is accessible enough for the audience we've got, right? So that was the concept of it. Yeah, and the first year we only did Melbourne. Just Melbourne. Just Melbourne. Melbourne, yeah. yeah. And then the second year, I think we didn't, we still didn't do Sydney. We we did uh, Adelaide, I think. No, no, did Sydney at like the university. Yeah, we did a, yeah. a, a Manning Bar. Right. Yeah. 
Gosh, yeah. that was very early. Yeah, that was so it was early really early. And then we so what you hang on, what year was this? So two thousand eight or seven? Seven, seven or eight? I can't yeah, remember. Right. Yeah. But it was it was um, doing Stereosonic though was definitely the death knell for the clubs. Yeah, we had to stop. <laughs> so, so, so one love stopped at that point. It yeah. ran another couple of years, yeah. but all the energy was like into this festival thing. Well, as you said, the the the, the people, the public's perception of, of what was you know entertainment. Had we we had stopped right. the clubs at right at the right time. Let, let, let's put it this way: with One Love, some person would come to One Love when they're eighteen years old, and they would come to the club every week for and, years. For years, yeah, yeah. For, I'm talking for like you had people that were coming for five years, like weekly. It's like growing up with your favourite band. It was growing if you're, up, if you're exactly. If you're 16-year-old and you're in love with a band, you Come. kind of sit with them for three or four albums. Imagine some, so telling someone now that, the, the that they're going to go, like in 2023, the idea of going to the same place mm. over and over. Yeah, now... They, you couldn't sell no, anyone now. to do that. And it was so funny. We were there for so long that we saw... Generational. Gen, it was generational. Yeah. Like, we used to see the kids come in... Then they get into relationships, and their brothers and fall, sisters would fall, fall out. <laughs> then they get married. Then they'd have kids. Then they come out of it. Then they're out partying again. So it was just like this. I, I knew you'd gone too far one night when I walked in and I saw Eddie McGuire. I thought they'd gone too far. <laughs> <laughs> we had all those. Yeah, yeah, but like it was very. Like, here's the thing: you could have a 50 year old person in there. And eating your kid, no one better than I at yeah, each no, other. No you couldn't have that now. No way. In Australia, no. overseas, it's still very prevalent. Look, you got to remember, One Love in its peak was seventeen to sixty. Right. So that was, was the age bracket. It was quite broad. And then it just became just as like the year came on, all that older people who'd been coming for years and years fell off, and then it just became narrow and narrow band. Yeah. And it became. It was really just fifteen cute. bucks of good times, yeah. yeah. You know, so so anyone could come. It, yeah, well, it didn't yeah. break the bank to come to one love. Now we're digressing. But let's, yeah. let's let's fast yeah. forward when, again. When Shannon Knowles turned up at my club <laughs> one night and asked me where the VIP area was, is that true? If that's true. Yeah. I said to him, "Look you, around. You're you. in it. Wherever Ed McGuire is." The, no, said, the whole club was the VIP. Yeah, yeah. The whole club is VIP. They all pay twenty five bucks to get in. And did he leave? Yeah, he, he left. Yeah, I, he would have. I am. I showed him the exit. <laughs> so, so fast forward again to Stereo Sonic, that had an impact on you know the sure. culture of this country. You know, sure, there was nothing. Yeah. There was nothing quite like Stereo Sonic, and never will be. I think never. unless unless you beg to differ. No, no, never. It was a, still it was... till today the biggest crowd for any music festival uh, of a touring festival of a touring yeah, festival of a touring That's festival cuz i remember the, the the second last one potentially i remember you guys uh, melbourne was just out of control you did two weekends i think we did memory. 70 no. something thousand was it, was it two or weekends? 80 thousand okay so okay the two weekend we'll get to that in a bit yeah. but what happened was in the summer of 2011 12 mm. that was our biggest year now you got to understand that year we had Calvin Harris, Avicii, Tiesto. We had an all-star lineup, lineup yeah. that you just could not afford to buy. Mm. Like back then, probably that bill would have cost us eight million dollars um, for the whole Australian tour. In today's money, today yeah. we're Triple probably we're, we're probably paying twenty six, twenty seven. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's never going to happen again, yeah. sort of thing. But that was our biggest year that we had, where 
you know, I think we did over 260, uh, 40,000. Across all the shows. Yeah. Which is extraordinary. But there wasn't, there wasn't the choice for people. Yes, that's right. Like now everything is micro to the, to the niche, to the, like, whatever you want to, you know, pretzel, you know, how, how you want to like cut it up. There was no shame in everyone just getting excited to go to the biggest thing. Mm. It was part of the the joy of it. People would, people had that on their calendar, and they would work out for it for months. Like it was a, you know, it was. Well, we also a, knew the formula. Like mm. the formula was, we had multiple stages which mm. were different with with great acts, yeah, great acts of different genres. Yeah, like we mixed it all up to give everyone. You and know, like the big day out, it became a rite of passage for that demographic. Correct. Sure. Yeah. Didn't yeah. It? Like you had to be. Like if you yeah. Well, it became a part of a run in the same way the big day out. Uh, agents mm. would block out that weekend for that Australia run yeah. Try in electronic music uh, first week of December end of November that was like globally known as Stereosonic Week. well yeah. I've got to say also Future Music Festival yeah. was mm. the same so they it were, was yeah. us two that really you know I the don't future think was you, Mark James Jason yeah, Ayubi yeah and, uh, Brett Robertson and all that yep. so but I've got to say we were we were leading the, the, you know, I don't know what it was. We had a different crowd or there was more people that just came to our events, but we're all at about the same level. Just, so what happens, what happened to One Love? One Love had to reinvent itself wow. to what it is today. Okay, so... Have, have, you, gone full, <laughs> have you gone full circle? Because you started off as a club, which turned into a, for want of a better word, a compilations company. yeah. Back into a um, a massive or involved in in a massive uh, music festival. 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 We'd also and started now, being indie. We were we we'd gone to become an indie label. But you're well. always indie, right? right? No, because indie. with the compilation business, was, we were a Sony JV with, with Sony, Sony, and yeah. then. But you still, but you still indie minded. I'm, I'm saying you still had your own office, oh, yeah. you still had your own staff. Yeah, it was, it was very, it's still very much. Even though you had the corporate partner in the compilations, you still ran your own race, really. Well, we were, yeah, we, you're right because the licensing side of One Love Recordings yeah. was independent. Yeah, right. It was always independent. Right. At one point, at the start, we had an office down in the basement in Sony. I remember that, and it was crazy. Like it was like next to the studios. It was like a broom closet that was forgotten by time. I remember that. There was right like, the studio, you, yeah. you know, it's a funny thing when you go down to Sony and you got you had our little broom closet office, you had the studios, and then you had a toilet next to the loading bay, <laughs> right? And the <laughs> and the toilet next to the loading bay, which all the artists that would go in to record would use that toilet. And you'd go in there and written above the toilet holder was Sony contract dispenser. <laughs> <laughs> and honest to God, the minute, the day that we walked in... The day I walked in, I thought that was the fucking funniest thing I ever saw, and it was there the You'll day that we got to got vinyl taps inside the music We were there for years. If you enjoyed that episode, <laughs> and please was, go to my website for more information about my guests. There was a lot of www.vinyltappodcast.com. Like amazing, like total legends, you know. And we'll see you on next week's story.